Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Gráinne A, and this week, is there a significant revival of the Irish language underway? This podcast episode is going to discuss this issue in English, so people who might not feel they're fluent enough can weigh in on issues that many Irish speakers are quite familiar with. Ahardus bilganin den changa meimid alawrt fuhi, ta angaelga arainleshen merla mar hanga ifigul neheran, ta she freshen mar hianda hanga ha ifigula an einthas orapig, le furen mor dashtrahori hals of Rochelle. As part of the Good Information Project, or Chunskadal and Ja Olish, our reporters looked at topics like Gwelgori Morlara Ernaman Hoshilta. Er flanana igor kahru nagelge imalia aha clea. Agas er ibana planala agas tihiakta atai curvru er gelgori, geltochti a agal. On the podcast today, we will be asking our two guests questions about how Irish forms part of some people's identities, about where we can go to speak Irish outside of schools in particular, and about the challenges facing the language and supports from the state that are still needed. Joining me on the podcast today to discuss these issues is Paula Melvin, newly appointed president of Conor Nagelga, and our own reporter Ronan Duffy, who's been looking at poll results and interviewing experts as part of the Good Information Project. Ronan, what did you set to look out for as part of the Good Information Project, and what did you find out? I think what we tried to do was we looked at it from the angle of is the Irish language thriving or is it surviving? Free brew and opie blah, as we kind of said. And, and I think what we found throughout is that there's a clear affection towards the Irish language among the Irish people. And I would say initially that that's probably not a surprise to people. I think people know and appreciate how people feel towards the language. But I think what became clear and what I was looking at was, I suppose, the level to which it is used as part of people in representing their identity as an Irish person and the level to which they want to see Irish language as part of their daily life. And I think that was clear throughout most of the articles uh, we did uh, in the Good Information Project. I kind of would say it's more than just a goodwill towards the Irish language. There's definitely an appreciation of the value it brings. And that, I think came through in, in a lot of the different interviews that I did. And I, I think through doing those interviews, I think we saw that there is a very active and diverse Irish language community out there. And I, I think you mentioned on Colleen Kuhn there when it comes to the awards it recently won in the IFTAs. And I think people understand and know that there's always been this kind of close association between the Irish language, heritage and culture and those kind of areas. But I think there's also serious efforts to create kind of a business networks in Irish so there's real practical benefit through speaking Irish and I think that's something we we try to we try to look at it's it's actually quite possible to do that at the moment through social media as you, you kind of referenced there yourself I think people are aware that people used to display the fact that they could speak Irish through the phone or could say listen speak to me in Irish if you want but it's almost easier to do than it ever has been you know, through social media, if you if you tweet in Irish, you can even just write in your bio that you're happy to speak in Irish. And people are using that, one, to find their own people they want to talk to, and two, kind of as a representer of their identity. Was there anything that you found particularly surprising? Well, I think the poll we mentioned, I think um, 
it came across that I think 63% of people wanted more Irish in their daily lives. So that was quite a strong um, majority of people. Only 14%, I think, of people um, said they wouldn't want more Irish uh, in their daily lives. So that was quite strong, whether it was surprising or not. Perhaps the, the gap there, it perhaps would be surprising. Some of the things that jumped out to me, I think, when I, from talking to people was, you know, how woven some of Gaelic courses are into the communities that that they exist in. And, you know, they haven't been there for a couple of years because of the pandemic and they're returning this year. And I spoke to the director of Colossus de Commerce, which is a Gaelic that I went to when I was 20 years ago. And they're booked out now for this summer. And, and there's quite an excitement at the returning kind of influx of students. And and I think I, I, I spoke to one Banantee called Kathleen. Um, she's from Rana First in, in Donegal. She's the third generation of her family who was, you know, a Banantee for for Colostra Breeder, and she was speaking about her mother and how much she's looking forward to the students coming back because just the kind of general buzz it, it gives to the community. And I think that was something that really jumped out to me. One other thing perhaps was, I think the Paula will be able to speak about this in greater detail is, you know, the demand that exists for Irish language education. And I think there's about 150 primary level Gale School in there. Uh, in the 26 counties at the moment, and it's so it's not enough for demand. There's just a bit of difficulty in actually creating more because of the patronage system, and that's kind of some of the debate about how you do that. And just on that, I think there's 28 Grail School in Northern Ireland as well, which is something I found quite impressive, and I think that stands up quite well in the numbers in the 26 counties. Yeah, I guess Craig might catch or Paul if we shin at Nistani, but first, Ronan, where what's your view on the future of the language? Do you think there is a momentum? there? I think what's unfortunate when we speak about these things is, you know, we're speaking about our national language here and, you know, it's almost like we have to speak about it in kind of a health check and how's it doing? How's it going to get better? And in some ways, I think it doesn't, you know, feel right trying to make prognostications about where we are going with the language. I mean, I would like to say, oh, yes, everything's going well. But, you know, I think there's a lot of challenges that people face in actually making meaningful change here. A lot of the people who I spoke to who were involved in the Irish language, lip service was um, a phrase that came up very often when they spoke about, you know, support for the Irish language from the government. And bail grow, I think, was the Irish term that came uh, that came to mind. So I would hope that there's been some improvement that we can maintain any momentum that has been created, but I, I couldn't be sure, I would say. Paula, hug run on blast doing in Shin if we saw this Nachanga if we law her. Since the pandemic began, and even a bit before that, there seems to have been a bit of a revival or an afyokan in the language. Have you seen, seen indicators that it's on the up? Well, a pumpkin ain't you like Lord, that's not really a tarata grown on. During the pandemic, there was a definitely a, an increase in the amount of people who were joining our classes in Cunder Nguelga. And I think a lot of people took to Duolingo and took the opportunity to learn Irish during COVID. Now, there has been a small drop since then. But before the pandemic, um, can I just talk to my own local experience locally? So Cunder Nguelga, we have nearly 180 branches worldwide. And I set up my own branch of Cunder Nguelga, Pubogagakujig, with a wonderful man, Derek Hollingsworth, in Dublin 15. And we had such massive demand for the classes before the pandemic. We need to restart them now. But I think what's very interesting is that we in Dublin 15, we have a very high percentage of people who are from Eastern Europe and Africa in particular. And the demand from those new communities for the Irish language was just kind of 
absolutely wonderful. I think as well, because the Irish language belongs to all of us, of course, um, I think there's a lot of positives now, as in I myself, I'm from a farm in North County, Dublin. I'm not from a Gwaeltacht. I didn't have the opportunities to start attending an Irish medium school when I was four years of age. As Ronan alluded to earlier, there is a massive, massive demand for Irish medium education. But unfortunately, as Ronan alluded to, the amount of Gwaeltacht available, Ohua no Yas, does not meet that demand. Unfortunately, only two and a half percent of children receive Irish medium education in the north. In the South, then, only 8% of Poshley Bunskola receive Irish medium education and only 3% of second level students in, in, in the South receive attend Gwaelkolostas. Now, the waiting lists for the Gwaelkolostas are a strong indication of the interest in receiving Irish medium education. And I think that interest shows a very positive disposition towards the Irish language. And I think if you go to any third level institution in Ireland, one of the largest student-led organisations, Clubs and Socks, will be the Cumann Gaelic, the Irish language, Cumann. And I think that shows how positively disposed students are. The younger generation are have more positive disposition towards the Irish language and don't have the same baggage that, say, my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation may have had. And I think just to another opinion poll there, um, conducted by Dublin City Council recently was that 75% of young people in Dublin wish to use more Irish in the city. And we now have a new initiative called Balliaclia Leguelga in, in, in partnership with Ryan Aguelta and in partnership as well with Ryan Aguelta and Dublin City Council. So hopefully we'll see more Irish on the streets of Dublin, of course, and of course Irish online as well and Pop-Up Gwaeltochty and the local branches of Cunar Aguelga all around the world that do so much great work volunteering for the Irish language. I think there is fantastically, wonderfully positive initiatives going on, but unfortunately we have to face the challenges in the Gwaeltochty the main one being planning permission. And I know Potter McLonica, um, my colleague in Cunner Nagueg, was discussing this with the journal recently, but it's it's quite simple. There's a planning niche issue all around this country. We all know it, but the issue is even worse in the Gwaeltocht because if people cannot receive planning permission to build their own homes and their own land in the Gwaeltocht, and if there isn't social housing available in the Gwaeltocht, and if there isn't houses to buy in the Gwaeltocht, quite simply, there won't be people left in the Gwaeltocht to speak the Irish language. So we, we are calling for a national housing planning, a national housing policy for the Gwaeltocht, so that people moving to can remain living in their own Gwaeltocht locations. It sounds like, you know, there's a real, you know, despite those types of difficulties, that there is a natural or grassroots borough or growth for Irish language courses and just in the language itself outside of the education system, which is obviously healthy. Is that kind of normal? You know, we talked about it before the pandemic, that there was kind of interest in Duolingo and in the and people getting in touch with the Cunra. Is that part of the natural ebb and flow of languages? Well, I definitely think it's normal because we're Irish. We should speak Irish. It's quite simple as that, in my opinion. What strikes me is every time I visit an, a, one of our one of our cousins in Europe, they all speak their own languages for the most part. Why should we in Ireland be any different? As in, we were recently in Luxembourg, where they all speak Luxembourgish to themselves. And I think and I don't have the stats, but I think pretty much Luxembourg could be comparable to say Leinster. It's a very small country, similar GDP to here. They all speak their own language to themselves and they all speak fluent French and fluent German. 
because I think they do everything in primary school through German and then everything in secondary school through French or vice versa. And then a lot of them speak fluent English and or Portuguese. I just think we should be more like our cousins around uh, around Europe. Like it is kind of normal to have that interest in the Irish language, of course. And but I do think there's a lot of positive initiatives. And um, Ronan also mentioned the summer colleges and it's fantastic. A lot of them will be opening up again, but Clash Naveen actually announced this week that they will not be reopening this summer. And we in Cunard Gwaeg are, are calling on the Department of the Gwaeltucht to establish kind of a Mehil Gwaeltucht, a working group that will kind of research and identify short-term, medium-term and long-term challenges faced by the sector, because there will be a, t- a thousand less beds available in the Gwaeltucht this year for those summer colleges, which will mean 3,000 less students. So there's a lot of challenges facing the Welltalk that we'd like um, the government to address. Yeah, and those were covered in in some of the pieces that you can find uh, on the journal. Um, Paula, just about the attitude towards Irish in general, and you mentioned internationally how language is kind of a you know, bilingualism is kind of normal or seen in a different light. How much can we blame negative attitudes towards Irish or maybe just people feeling that they just don't have the ability to speak it or that it's difficult. How much can we attribute that to the schools? Because we obviously hear that a lot. I think it depends on your generation, though, because I think the experiences are very, very, very different depending on your age. I did not study PEG. <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy to the woman. I believe that there is more marks are going towards the written the, the spoken language nowadays and Conor Nguegu was set up in 1893 to reinstate the Irish language as the main spoken language in Ireland. So I do think it's great that there's more emphasis on the spoken word. And while I do sympathise people who had negative experiences in school regarding the Irish language and Irish teachers, I myself had some negative experiences in school with maths and German teachers, but kind of, I think we also need to recognise that there's also a difference between a school subject and a living language. Like Irish is a living language. Language. There are people raising their children through the medium of the Irish language. We have Gwaeltucks. Not only is Irish an EU official language, it's also one of the 10 oldest languages that are still spoken in the world today. And now while I've lost the problem with the school system and I also do think we do need to kind of move away from always talking about the Irish language as a school subject because it is a living language as well. If I could just jump in on that as well. I, I, it's kind of interesting that Paula mentioned PEG because it's something I heard a lot when I was speaking to, to people involved in this area as well. Like it, it's, it's almost become a trope at this point that that's the problem with the with the Irish language, that those kind of things have been taught in school when you know that particular book hasn't been taught in school for decades. And I think it's something that's always brought up by columnists and something like that who are seeking to make predictions about the language. But if you actually look at kind of the fluency levels among different age groups and, you know, the importance that um, the importance that people place on Irish, you know, the 18 to 24 year old age group, I think as part of a poll, we had three quarters of people in that age group. Uh, hold Irish to be an important part of identity. And the fluency among the language was also highest in that age group. And, you know, that's the age group that's closest to the education system. So to kind of just label um to blame education, I don't necessarily think it's borne out in the facts. We're seeing a lot more Irish language films as well, like Aroch and Khalim Kuhn. Ronan, you spoke to TG Cahar's director general or Orj Stuarhor, Alan Esselmont, about this and about the Cine Cahar scheme, a joint initiative between TG Cahar, Screen Ireland and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. What insights did he have? Well, I think kind of the, the first one of the main things I took from speaking to him was that they're firmly of the belief now that people will go to watch Irish films. And I think that, you know, is an important 
finding in and of itself. And, you know, you mentioned when Colleen Coon was the best film um, and recently at the IFTAS, it also won an award in, in at the Berlin International Film Festival. So I think there's a feeling that Irish film doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, Irish film. They could just be very high quality films in the Irish language. And Cine Cahar, which is, you know, it's part of uh, TG Cahar and the Irish Film Board. Um, TG Cahar has had excellent documentary makers for a long time. And I think people are aware of those quality documentaries. They just ne hadn't necessarily had the opportunities to, to, to do this on a bigger scale. And that's kind of what this Cine Cahar is all about. I think Alan explained it to me. What they want to create is a is a pipeline of Irish language features. So they'll look at about maybe five ideas every year, kind of scripts and so forth, and then kind of put two into production every year. And that's their goal. And if they can put two in production every year, that gets films in a cinema. It also provides films for TG Carr a couple of years down the road. And it kind of just normalizes the whole idea of of watching films through Irish and, and good ones at that. And and the Privashtur in Aroch Dono Haley was saying that it's a great thing that he can be an actor in his his own language, which is kind of a small thing, it seems like, but a kind of a, a big thing uh, for him personally and people who do speak Irish to have that opportunity. Was anything said about the impact that films like that might have on interest in Sukhailga? I think what they're focused on mainly is the quality. I, I don't think they necessarily want to make these films be about selling the Irish language. They just want to make quality films. And Alan actually was a very interesting character. And it's kind of, when you listen to Paula there as well, talking about how she didn't necessarily grow up through the Irish language. He didn't either. He's Scottish and he, he didn't grow up as a native speaker of Scots Gaelic. He kind of only discovered that in his adulthood and moved to Connemara and is now head of TG Carr. And he, he describes that as, I think he said, the biggest privilege of his life, the way he's been accepted into the Irish language community. And I, I think what it shows is that very often people find it intimidating, the idea of embracing Irish, because they know that there are people out there who are, you know, perfect Irish speakers and, and they're kind of nervous in that regard. And I think you, you can get involved in this when uh, at a smaller level. You don't have to be, have, have perfect Irish. And I think that's quite important. Can I jump in on that, Ronan, just there? I'm a native English speaker. My English isn't perfect, as I'm sure your listeners can can hear. I'm married to a Sligo man who has much better English than I do. Sometimes I go to Iceland and Norway and other countries and they have better English than I do. Like, we all make mistakes in speaking English. We can also all make mistakes in speaking Irish. Something I'm very passionate about is that I'm on the Diversity and Inclusion Committee in Cunner Nguelga. And we're actually working to make sure that everyone feels welcome in Cunner Nguelga, where they're from, whether they're like Alan Essamont from Scotland or if they're from a different religious background or if they're from you know, no matter their sexual orientation or whatever else that they're very welcome in Cunernabega. I like to think we're a very welcoming community. Paula, can I ask you about the other ways the Irish language is cropping up in more day to day life for people? What we need to do is to normalise the Irish language and to make it very visible, in my opinion, Grania. So we set up an Irish-speaking Gaelic football club called Nguelloga in Dublin. So in Dublin, in Lake Rolochli, in Belfast, and similarly in Galway, you can play camogie or hurling or football through Ban Nguelga. There's stand-up comedy nights off Gaelga. There's Iha Filiacta off Gaelga. There's pop-up Gaeltochti. And my advice to anyone would be, whatever you want to do in English, if you want to do in Irish, just set it up yourself. As in, if you want to play basketball or badminton or if you want to do a quiz night whatever you want to do you can you, you can set it up as well we should be really normalizing it and making sure that all the opportunities we have to do things in english we should be able to do it in irish as well and also i think as well 
normalizing the Irish language in kind of professional settings as well. When I was a child growing up being a farmer's daughter who had an interest in Irish, everyone always told me, oh, be the voontor, be the voontor, be the voontor. And I have no disrespect towards teachers. But I hope that conversation will stop now, isn't because there's so many opportunities for Irish speakers. You can go teaching Irish in Canada, in, in in America, you can become a translator and translate legal documents in the European Union. And um, recently, Conor de Guelga had a very successful campaign with a, a number of other groups. And we got this very important four-railer, that 20% of new recruits to the public service by the end of 2030 will have to be Irish speakers. So it is a game changer that there's going to be more opportunities and more employment opportunities for Irish speakers as well. Just, just, just on that, I think there are people who are actively trying to make that happen. I think, I think Paula mentioned earlier on there the Balyakwila Gwelga group, and I, I spoke to the head of that, Mihal Anulan, and he was saying how what they want to do is to look at this through a business eye. And, you know, that, that can be on a small scale level, such as, you know, encouraging shops to, to display Irish language signage so that perhaps people know that they can use a Cooper Fucking if they want and to kind of give businesses the support to do that. Because, you know, if businesses want to do even more work through Irish, be that, you know, they're going to need an accountant. Is there an accountant who can perhaps do the work through Irish? These are all qualified professional people who perhaps have a good level of Irish. Again, doesn't have to be a perfect level of Irish, but enough to get the job done. And I think there was an Irish language uh, network, I think it's called Borough. It was set up, yeah, it was set up a couple of years ago, just before the start of the pandemic. And that's kind of a network of professionals in, in some of quite the leading companies throughout uh, Dublin. And these are just people who work for those companies, but they also have Irish and it's a way to network and, uh, and to kind of use the Irish language, but also just to meet people as well at the same time. Another interesting aspect of the recent increase in interest in the Irish language is feinulacht, or identity. Ronan, has Brexit in a weird way fueled interest in the Irish language by playing into identity politics, particularly when we're clarifying separate identities between being Irish and being British? One thing about Brexit, I would say, would be, you know, whether or not that's made a difference. But it's certainly one of the clearest examples of identity politics in action, you know, if if you're in the UK, if you kind of get a sense of what someone's position on Brexit, you can rightly or wrongly perhaps get what their positions are like on other issues, and, and it kind of becomes a part of their identity. And that perhaps is a similar thing when it comes when it comes to Irish, and that, that can that can perhaps be a negative thing as well. I think Gail Gorey, for example, have had so, certain negative stereotypes about them in the past, and I think they're perhaps slightly un, unfair. But when it comes to identity politics, you know, it's just a way people are people are expressing themselves less through political parties and it's very often through issues a lot more these days. And, you know, perhaps if you want to be unfair about it, people also want to be issues that aren't controversial. There's nothing controversial about being in favour of the Irish language and I think that's something you perhaps will see people identify with for that reason. Ronan, the government has a 20-year strategy to promote and support the Irish language. Could you explain to us what that is? Yeah, well, I suppose kind of the 20-year strategy, as you laid out there, the 20 years we're talking about is 2010 to 2030. So we're already, you know, past halfway through uh, the strategy. So people can judge for themselves if they feel it's been visible enough or, or needs to be more visible. Um, I suppose the headline target is to have a quarter of a million daily speakers by 2030. So 250,000. When the strategy started, it was at about 83,000. So it was a very ambitious target. You know, we'll see how the census kind of gives us some information on that when it comes back to achieve that. I think, you know, there's all 
different promises around investment in education, media technology. We've heard about some of the problems when it comes to education. Perhaps one of the most concrete things is, is one that was mentioned earlier, and that's the, the official languages bill, which will see to uh, have 20% of new recruits in the public service have to have Irish language. And, you know, that's it's not just about tokenism that, because what that will do or should do is that if, if people want to do their business through Irish, if you want to interact with the state through Irish, you should have the right to do that. And I think that's a basic thing that most people would accept. But to actually be able to achieve that, you have to have people in the state bodies in the first place to speak Irish. So if you have 20% of new recruits, that will, that will perhaps aid that. There's other things in there, such as, uh, again, state bodies would have to spend a particular amount, I think it's 20% of their advertising budget on Irish language advertising. And again, that's not just about tokenism. That 20% of budget will go to Irish speakers uh, and it will, across, it will help the entire community. So so that, that's how that works. Paula, uh, how is that strategy going? Are you seeing any impact on the ground? Well, I think Marjorie Ronan, Beglafakal, Eturhi on Danor of Nurhagen Sheets on a Mock, V. Tit and Tubashuk, Modern Ifehishajeg. And we were very disappointed by the 2016 census results, unfortunately. And a lot of the Gwaltuks, we saw decreases in the amount of daily Irish speakers, except for Sarain at Port Lorga. Look, the vast majority of things that were in the strategy for Hibbin and Gwaltuk, Vidarin took. Um, they were very ambitious. We should we should hire about ambitious. Um, but unfortunately, more funding was needed and the correct funding was never and the correct supports were just absolutely never put in place to achieve that. And I think if you look at, say, First Nguelga, for example, as in First Nguelga's funding is still less than it was 10 years ago, even though we in Conor Nguelga campaigned for increases. We did receive increases for the Irish language in the task, last two budgets, but the, the amount that was increased just, it, it just wasn't enough. Like if you compare the Irish language to other cultural kind of causes, the Irish language never receives cutter and nefena. So what kind of supports do you think the government should be focusing on then if they really want to support and promote the Irish language? Well, right now, it's definitely It's definitely the national housing policy for the Gwaeltops. That's the main issue. When I talk to the Mehel Gwaeltops, that's the main issue that's coming up on the Gwaeltops. In a personal capacity, I definitely like to see that strategy implemented that I was talking about earlier to enable schools to become Welsh if they so wish. I think definitely Cunnernawelga branches and local groups of Irish language groups were badly hit during the pandemic. They had a very, very, very bad, very difficult two years. And I do think more resources need to be given to them in particular. Uh, we did receive funding for the Christus Bragg to get our Irish language groups back up and running throughout in the pandemic, but just quite simply, we just need more funding. I'd like to see more funding going to Gwaltop areas in particular. So it's really about making sure supply for Irish language services like schools and Kloshti Sauri is matching the demand for them. On the social aspect, Paula, you mentioned the societies and universities that I think a lot of people who would have gone to third level would have had experience of. Is the social aspect of the Irish language being underrated? I think it's funny, though, in a way, because I think the majority of people in Ireland know about the ploughing, that like, but Oroctus Nasauna every year around Halloween is basically the equivalent to the, what the ploughing is for farmers, for Irish speakers. But the funny thing is, even though it is mentioned on TV, I don't think most non-Irish speakers in this country know about it. I do think it's kind of underrated by most, well, non-Irish speakers to a degree, but like, 
I couldn't imagine my life without the Irish language, without the pop of Gwael Tuxa Fudnahata, without Shock to Nguelga, without all the events, without, we have a new initiative now called Ian and Nguelga where we want uh, businesses to do something towards the Irish language, be it a Kirkacor or whatnot, the last Friday of every month. So I think, well, in my experience as someone who came from an English speaking background, I, I found the Irish language community to be incredibly welcoming and it's just really added to my life um, professionally and in a social capacity. I, but there's so many opportunities. And like I said, if there's something you want to do to your Irish that isn't currently available, then to Hene, like I know obviously yourselves in the journal are doing great work towards the Irish language, but there's also, you can listen to Reading Alifa, TG Cahir. There's so many opportunities now and opportunities to go traveling with the Irish language as well. I got an invitation from... Um, Irish speakers of Brussels to visit them. I will be joining uh, our branch of Cunnernabega, Massachusetts, although virtually on the 7th of May. There's so many opportunities that arise, both socially and professionally, as a result of the Irish language. I just want to say to any parent in particular, actually, like, if you want your child to be employed in the future, make sure they speak Irish. Yeah. Yeah, Tagam Lashin, I definitely agree with that. Ronan, is the way that can be tapped into, you know, from the state's perspective to help encourage the language to grow? From the state's perspective, I'm not particularly sure. Anytime the state tries to get involved in their socialising, I'm not sure it works particularly well. But I think I think Paula mentioned there the pop-up Gwaltic team, for example. I think that's a good example. Like my own experience is I'm somebody who went to a bun school long Gwaltic. I had very good Irish when I was about 12 or 13. It's gradually declined as I've got older. And now it's it's not at the level I would like it to be now. And I think what that shows is that, you know, I would love the opportunity to be able to go and practice. But it, I, for me, sometimes I almost feel... I'm not going to go so far as to say ashamed, but I feel disappointed that I've let that Irish go. And it kind of makes me retreat into myself when when I should be actually, I, I almost feel disappointed well, in myself really when I try and speak Irish as opposed to I should be happy when I'm able to use the amount of Irish that I can. And I think, again, that goes back to the message that we, we talked about, how it's not about being a perfect Irish speaker. It's just about, you know, I'm useless at golf most of the time, but it doesn't stop me going to play it. I think that kind of has to be the attitude. If I go to a Papa Gwaltic, I'm not going to have to be able to speak to everybody there. But if I go to one friend, if I go with one friend, have a few words in Irish and maybe pick up a bit while I'm there, I think that perhaps is a way people can ease themselves into it. <laughs> Well, I have uh, opportunities everywhere. We're going to leave it there, Jorge. Paul Agusron on Gramila Mahagi, Asavet Lin, Erin Bulkreila, and you. Thank you for listening to The Explainer, and thank you to Paula and Ronan for speaking with us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry, and my co presenter, Michelle Hennessy. The Good Information Project is co-funded by Journal Media and a grant programme from the European Parliament. The European Parliament has no involvement in or responsibility for the editorial content published by the project. Gurmila Mahagi Arish, Agus Lan Thamal.